So please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. This morning we are concluding our series entitled On Mission with the Gospel. On Mission with the Gospel. The series describes God giving us a mission. A mission that we've captured in the following mission statement for Palm Vista Community Church. Here it is. Connecting people to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement. Connecting people to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. The last three weeks we've been preaching the biblical texts that reveal that mission to us. Three weeks ago I preached a message entitled Connections from Ephesians 4, 1 to 17. Two weeks ago, I preached a message entitled Connecting People to God, the first of the three connections from Matthew 22, 36 to 40, the Great Commandment, and Matthew 28, 16 to 20, the Great Commission. And then last week, Corey preached the second of the connections, connecting people to one another in the church from John chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. And today... It's my privilege to conclude the series preaching the final connection, connecting people to neighbor, that is to say those outside the church, and I'll be preaching from Luke 10, 25 to 37. What's key about this mission statement, the most important part of this mission statement are the last two words, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ is the key to each of these connections. For he alone is the one who connects us firstly to God, then to one another, and calls us to be connecting people to their neighbor. And he does this through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, what we call the gospel. This is our gospel mission. Now, for you to connect others You must first be connected to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. And if you're not, if you have not experienced this life-giving connection through Jesus Christ, I invite you to respond to his word, what the Bible calls the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friend, God commands you to repent and believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I appeal to you this morning to do just that so that you might experience this life-giving connection that only Jesus can make. And for those of us that are connected to God through Jesus Christ, God calls us to be connecting people to Him, to be connecting people to one another, to be connecting people to neighbor through Jesus Christ. God's purpose is more than simply for us to be connected to him. Jesus calls us to be a church that is actively connecting people to God. Likewise, God's purpose is more than for us to be connected to one another. He calls us to be actively connecting people to one another within the church. We chose the words one another. If you could put the... uh, Let's just statement back up. We chose the words one another very carefully because in the New Testament, normally, when you see one another, it's speaking of the inter-Christian relations within the church, how you relate to those in your community group, those in the larger church. This is what we spoke about last week. 
And God this week is speaking to us through this text in Luke 10 that not only are we to be connected to neighbor through Jesus Christ, but we are to be connecting people to neighbor, to the city that lies outside the church. And again, we chose this word neighbor for the final connection carefully because it really speaks of our mission statement to be connecting to those outside the church. Neighbor is used in that fashion in this text. Whether that neighbor is next door, in the next state, in the next country. In Luke 10, 25 to 37, Jesus speaks to us about our neighbor and what it means to be a good neighbor. So let's turn there. Luke 10, 25 to 37. And let's hear the word of God. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said to him, the lawyer, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, the lawyer, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, This is now the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Jesus now looked at the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the lawyer, said, I can just imagine with hushed tones, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Palm Vista. Let's pray. Lord, this text challenges us, this test provokes us, this test calls everything that we do and puts it under a microscope of your command to go and do likewise. Help us. Risen Lord Jesus, come by the Spirit of the Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three and one. We need you right now. We want to hear you. We want to be empowered by you. We want to follow you. As Mickey and Dina just shared so 
deeply and passionately. We want to glorify your name, not just at Christmas, every day of our lives. For you have come. You've saved us for just this reason. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. State Farm Insurance Company was founded in 1922 by a retired farmer named George J. Metcherell. He founded it as a mutual automobile insurance company owned by its policyholders, and the firm originally specialized in auto insurance for farmers. Now, we all know since then it's branched out. It's a huge insurance company. Now, why am I mentioning State Farm? Well, the State Farm jingle is probably one of the most enduring and recognizable in the history of commercials. If you remember it, sing after me. Ready? Here we go. And like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay. I don't claim to be as good a singer as the famous songwriter who composed the jingle way back in 1971. Do you know who that songwriter is? It's none other than Barry Manilow. Recently, an updated rock cover of the jingle was released by Weezer. Which actually is pretty good. (laughs) In the modern version of the commercial, if you've watched it recently, one of the modern versions of the commercial, two guys are cruising around in their car. They stop to enjoy a burger in some national park and suddenly find themselves being attacked by huge buffaloes. As the buffaloes start to attack their car in this commercial, the driver sings, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Boom, this agent appears in the back seat. He sees the buffalo. They all scream. The man sings the jingle again, and they're transferred into the safety of the agent's insurance office, huddled together. What does that have to do with this text? Well, our poor friend here in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the man on the Jericho Road, wasn't attacked by buffaloes, but by robbers, who took all he had, and left him for dead. Here's the question that hangs over this text that Jesus has for us today, church. Who will prove to be this man's neighbor? Who will be a good neighbor here? The text in which Jesus answers this question, the context is a familiar one. Jesus is being questioned by an expert of the law, a Jewish lawyer, who wanted to trap Jesus into saying something against the law so they could persecute, prosecute, and perhaps kill Jesus. So he asked Jesus a very important question, one that was on the mind of all good Jews. Verse 25, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knew this man's heart. He knew this was a question that the lawyer already knew the answer to. He was just testing Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He answers his question with a question. Mr. Lawyer, verse 26, what's written in the law that you've studied? How do you read it? Brilliant. The lawyer at that moment realized, I'm in big trouble. He had hoped to trap Jesus, but he sensed quickly, nervously, that the trap was being set for him. So, he's in the game. He started the fight. Here we go. He dutifully gave the only answer that Jesus' question could have from Scripture. Verse 27, the lawyer says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor 
as yourself, quoting the great Shema Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 5, and the commandment in Leviticus 19, 18, to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, Jesus was happy to let the fight end right here. He says, good answer. I commend your answer. Now do that and you will live. The lawyer should have given up right then. What the lawyer should have done right then is, 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 is fallen at the feet of Jesus because Jesus was using the law to drive the lawyer to the Savior, to himself. The lawyer should have at that point fallen to his knees, acknowledged that he was not able to do this and that he needed a Savior and cried for mercy. But the lawyer didn't do that. Nope. Look at verse 29. What does it say? But desiring to justify himself. Oh my. Oh my. He has to follow on question. Lawyers are good at asking questions. He has to follow on question. And this follow on question is the question that really drives the parable of the good Samaritan. It's the question Jesus is answering. If you're going to understand a parable, you've got to understand the question that drove the parable, the situation that drove the parable. So he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Now, the lawyer asked this question in a very insincere manner. He, it just revealed his heart. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't wanting to obey the law. He was trying to limit his exposure to who is my neighbor. So he limited the number of people he had to truly love as himself to the exclusion of many others. He simply wanted to be justified by making some people non-neighbors. Friends, here's where God begins to speak to our conscience in this text. Here's where God nudges us with this question of who is my neighbor toward examining our own heart to see if we have excluded a segment of people by tightly defining neighbor to the point of excluding many of those in the city in which we live. See, this question, it really does drive the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's this question that Jesus is answering when he begins to tell the parable. So look at the parable with me. Verse 30 again. And as you look, here's the first point of the message. Who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? And to that, Jesus tells a parable. This parable is about a man who is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets beaten up by robbers. It's severe. He's lying, dying. And three people walk by this man. Who's going to be the neighbor? Who's going to be the state farm agent that's there for him? Who's going to be the good neighbor? Is it the priest? Is it the Levite? Is it the Samaritan? If you're a Jew, you certainly wouldn't have voted Samaritan at the beginning of the parable. Trust me on that. Now, Jesus is... Very wise, obviously, he's God. And the way he's, he's crafting this parable, he chooses the Jericho Road. Very dangerous place indeed. Jesus knew that. The lawyer knew that. Everybody back then knew that. You probably don't know that, though, because we don't live there. Let me expand your understanding this morning. Jerusalem is at 3,000 feet above sea level. Jericho is at approximately 846 feet below sea level. 
The 17-mile road that connected the two cities, the Jericho Road, was filled with tight turns, dark passages between mountainous crags of rocks, just the place from which robbers could and would attack travelers. A very dangerous road indeed. Imagine the most violent city in America, and in that city the most violent neighborhood with the darkest alley imaginable running for 17 miles with no lights. An alley frequented by muggers, intent on enriching themselves from the poor people who had to travel through that alley to and from work and school. You get the picture? So into this scene, Jesus introduces a traveler, and he's attacked, he's beaten, he's stripped of all his belongings to include his new Nike LeBron sneakers and left for dead. Stay with me on the city, you know, okay. Next, Jesus introduces a priest on his way, perhaps, to conduct his priestly duties. He sees the beaten man and immediately thinks, hey, you know, the same robbers, okay, sanctified imagination. Hey, the same robbers who beat this man may still be around. So he quickly passes on the other side of the road and hurries away. Next, Jesus introduces a Levite. These are religious men. These are leaders in the community. These are men who know the word of God, know the law, like the lawyer. Next, the Levite comes by, does the exact same thing. Both of these men knew that the law commanded them to help their neighbor. They knew the Leviticus passage, but fueled by fear or maybe the realization that if they stopped and if they touched this man and if he were already dead, they would have to go through a lengthy and expensive seven-day cleansing process. So you know what? Minding their own business... They hurried on to their appointed duties. Now, friends, before we quickly judge these men, we need to look inside our own hearts this morning and ask ourselves if we, too, have thought similar things. We're on our way to church or community group or just trying to make it through life with limited time and money and see someone lying in the road, beaten and dying. It could be physical, especially in South Florida, or most likely it could be spiritual. It could be someone experiencing severe financial need, going through a painful relational situation, battling life-besetting sins, or simply hopeless, depressed, and in real trouble. We see them lying there, but sometimes we just don't think we have the time, energy, courage, resources, or even grace to help. Oh, I have done that many times, my friends. Too busy, too busy sometimes even doing God's work to stop and help someone in need. Maybe I'll utter a quick prayer and and move on. But friends, just as Corey said last week, rarely will it be convenient or easy for us to serve our neighbors because we are often busy and hard at work. But here's the good news. There is grace for you to do it. If God has called us to this, then he will give us the grace and strength for it. Now back to the parable in verse 33. Jesus takes this parable in a super surprising direction. He actually introduces a Samaritan into the narrative. Now, you need to know that a Samaritan was considered the lowest of lowlifes to a Jew. They were heretical half-breeds hated and hating the Jews. In fact, the Jews said, listen, you you don't even have to pull a Samaritan out of the ditch if he falls into one. No, no. In fact, you should probably just throw him into the ditch and keep going. The worst thing a Jew could call another Jew was a Samaritan. This was the highest insult. It was, in fact, what the Jewish authorities called Jesus 
when they were trying to kill him. You know, it's kind of hard for us to understand how shocking it was for Jesus to introduce a Samaritan into the parable because in this country we are so racially diverse. But I think I can say, though I'm sure this is stretching it a bit, that the shock would be something like hearing that a radical Muslim Al-Qaeda sympathizer was merciful to one of us while we were lying, bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road of life. It would be unexpected at, at a minimum. But look at verse 35, friends. Excuse me, 33. The Samaritan had something the priest and Levite lacked. He had compassion on the man. Compassion on the man. He stopped. He took care of him. He bandaged his wounds. He placed him on his animal. And he took him to an inn where he could be healed. And he covered all his expenses. Friends, do you hear Jesus' answer? To the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? Listen carefully. As Jesus turned to the stunned lawyer in verse 36 and answered his question of who is my neighbor with another question. This guy should have learned by now, but he hadn't. Look at verse 36. Jesus asked the lawyer this question after telling him the parable. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and the lawyer answered Jesus' question and in answering Jesus' question, answered his own question and I could just imagine he's thinking, I'm hearing the trap snap shut right now out of my own mouth. Boom! And he says in verse 37a, the lawyer does, the one who showed him mercy. God speaks and shuts the mouth of every man. And Jesus, upon hearing that correct answer in verse 37b, turns to the lawyer and Jesus turns to us this morning, listen to his voice, and he says to us, you go and do likewise. Who is our neighbor, friends? Point one, here's the answer. Our neighbor is any person God brings to our attention in need of mercy. Our neighbor is any person God brings to our attention in need of mercy. That's the answer to this lawyer. He was seeking to delimit neighbor very smallly, so he delimited his exposure, his liability to who he had to really love as himself. And Jesus says, oh no, I'm going to bring a Samaritan into this story. Your neighbor... Your neighbor is any person God brings to our attention in need of mercy. Friends, life is not safe. It is a Jericho road fraught with robbers who seek to kill and destroy, some physically, most spiritually. Most of us live in relative safety today in our suburbs, but for the majority of the world, that is not the case. Sin introduced into this world injustice, greed, hatred, violence, and it awaits them on their Jericho road. And this dangerous world is right at our gates. There are thousands in our dangerous city in need of mercy, lying in their own blood, either physically or spiritually, wounded, beaten, and hopeless. Jesus' answer to our question posed here in point one is very simple. You want to know who is your neighbor, church? Your neighbor is the person that I bring across your path who is in need on the Jericho road of their life. They may be blinded by bitter anger, enslaved by ravenous lusts, 
and appetites, abused by evil men, victims of human trafficking and slave trade, living broken lives, broken relationships that are just bleeding them dry, caught in greed that bankrupt them both spiritually, financially, morally. They're lost without a hope. See, here's the question. Here's the real question. Listen, the lawyer was asking, oh, well, who is my neighbor? The question that Jesus turned on him is is this. Whose neighbor are you? Church, are we their neighbors as it's biblically defined? And are we good neighbors? Are we good neighbors? Point two. Are we good neighbors? Neighbors, would those in our city say that Palm Vista, and by that I mean you and I, are good neighbors? Well, Al, what is a good neighbor? In a way, that State Farm jingle has some truth. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I mean, in essence, guys, it's it's simple, isn't it? It's hard, but it's simple. A good neighbor is someone who's there. I mean, like the silly commercial with the two guys in the car being attacked by buffaloes. You know, when they sang the jingle, the state farm agent appeared and got them out of trouble. If you look at the parable carefully, go back and look at it, verse 33. You will see that the neighbor, when Jesus was making his point, who's the neighbor? Who is the neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the parable, the neighbor, the good neighbor is the one who's there. Look at verse 33. Again, unlike the priest and Levite, the good Samaritan had compassion on the man. When he saw him, verse 34, what does it say? He went to him. He didn't walk over here. You know, there's the man, Levite and the priest. He's walking by. It's not a good neighbor. Someone playing it safe. Someone in a hurry. Someone who doesn't have time. A good neighbor says, there he is. There's danger all around. He is bleeding. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to get bloody. Uh, this is not going to, I would, did not plan this today. It's not my agenda today. But he comes in and he, he bows down. He bandaged his wounds. And he grabbed him and he put him on his animal. I can imagine it was probably a donkey, mountainous path. He's now walking. Takes him to the inn. He helps him at his own expense. Pretty simple, isn't it? What's a good neighbor? On the screen, a good neighbor is willing to stop and help, even when inconvenient and costly. A good neighbor. A good neighbor is willing to stop and help, even when inconvenient and costly. Are we good neighbors, church? It's interesting, the word compassion, if you look at your text in verse 33, that's used to describe the good Samaritan is the Greek word splancha. Not plancha. It's a different thing. Splancha. And it is often used of God's compassion for us. See, this is what Jesus had in mind when he commanded the lawyer. Remember what he said to the lawyer? Who's the good neighbor? And the lawyer said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, correct, go and do likewise. So when Jesus is defining a good neighbor, he's saying it's that person who shows mercy to those in need and so proves to be their neighbor. Now, earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said these words in Luke 6, 35 to 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. That Samaritan wasn't expecting anything in return. 
and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. To be a good neighbor, one must know and show God's mercy to others, the same mercy that God gave us. Friends, we were the ungrateful and evil ones to whom God showed mercy in Jesus Christ. We weren't just bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road of life. No, no. We were dead with no hope at all. Then Jesus came. And he didn't just give us some money and time to help us out. No, he gave us his life to bring us back to life and redeem us from the curse of sin and death. Jesus lived a perfect life, friends. The only one who ever loved God the Father every day of his life with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is the only human ever that loved his neighbor perfectly every day of his life. And then he took that perfect life and he gave it for imperfect lives like yours and mine. He took the curse, the punishment, and the righteous wrath of God that we deserved. He did this on the cross. On the cross, he was kind to the ungrateful and evil. On the cross, he showed mercy to to us, his elect. And he calls us to show mercy to our neighbor, the same mercy we receive to the ungrateful and the evil. This is what he enables us to do. He enables us to stop and help our neighbor, even when it is inconvenient, if you can put that phrase up. He helps us to stop and help our neighbor even when it is inconvenient and costly. I I was sitting here trying to think of all the examples. Now, there are many in this church. You've heard many of them for so long. The folks at Heartbeat, what Jeannie does. The folks at CBC, Children Battling Cancer. The the folks that are serving in in think tanks like Cornwall and and, and, and in mission organizations like Latin American Mission. But, But I just, I felt like, Lord, give me examples of just... Folks that are doing it in everyday life. I I just felt like the Lord gave me, yeah, moms. Moms. I, I think of the families that have adopted recently. What a picture of the gospel. What do all those have in common? When you stop and help someone in need, even when it's inconvenient and costly, what you're doing is you're connecting to them. Hence the third piece of our mission statement, connecting people to neighbor. How do we do that? Point three. How do we connect to our neighbor. You've heard the theological command. You've, you've seen the biblical text. You understand what God is saying. I'm not saying it. God is saying it. He's saying it through Luke 10. He's saying it through this lawyer, asking this question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus telling him, the one who shows mercy. And Jesus saying it goes across racial lines and socioeconomic lines. It goes across all that. Your neighbor is that person in need that God has brought into your path and you are to show them mercy. You Hopefully the Bible is speaking to you 
and the conviction is dawning on you. And you're seeing it's by grace alone. It's by faith in Christ alone, through grace alone. We can't do it on our own strength. We'll blow up if we try, but we've received mercy. So he says, go show mercy one person at a time, one need at a time. How do I do that, Al? Point three. We connect to our neighbor through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Propelled by the gospel fuel of God's mercy toward us, we happily connect to our neighbor in his time of need. We stop and help. We stop and help. It's real simple. We stop and help. Now, you may be wondering right about now, hey, Al, uh, nice sermon. Let me just give you a little update on my life. I have little money, little time, and few talents or creativity. It's great for these guys with all these ministries and this Christmas near the beach thing. That's impressive. It actually scares the heck out of me to even think about that. I'll go wear a little red t-shirt that night, you know, eat some popcorn and maybe talk to somebody. But putting on something that big, nah, that's not going to happen. I can barely connect to God, my family, and the church. Now you're asking me to connect to my neighbor who's lying bleeding on some Jericho road? Come on. Oh, but friends, this is where this this text sings. This is where the gospel sings. This is where we boast in our weakness and when we are weak, he is strong. Because we don't do it alone. Don't you get it? As Corey said last week, when God connects us to Christ, Christ connects us to the Father. We're not just connected to Jesus, we're connected to one another. Eject the Lone Ranger mentality. Jesus connects us to God. Jesus connects us not just to himself, the head, but to the body. And then Jesus says, I'm going to help you guys, plural, to connect to neighbor. It's not about just you being connected to neighbor. It's about us connecting people to neighbor, one another. There's a synergism. There's something that happens. There's this wonderful work of God. It's it's like this, this, this flood that comes flooding into a dry, dead valley of bones, and it raises the tide in the whole valley, and the bones come alive, and something happens that's bigger than any one of us. It's God. It's God. It's God. And when we realize it begins very small, we will begin to realize that the opportunities are right in front of us in our everyday life. You don't add this to what you're already doing. This is in what you are doing together. And as you do it better together and as you're connected more to the Lord Jesus and to one another, you'll see the opportunities even more. And it just starts snowballing. It's called the church. It's called a living body that's growing and maturing. It's like a little baby that is born, and then you feed it, and it starts walking, and it becomes coordinated. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then one day you look at that little baby who's playing here, this cajon on on the stage, and you realize, that's my son. I remember when he was like this big. Where did he get all that hair? What happened here? But, you know, we laugh, but... That's the body of Christ. You understand that's, that's the picture of the body of Christ in Ephesians 4? But it doesn't happen if we don't all work together under the power of the Holy Spirit. Take some risks. He's the center of my life now, no longer my own will. And be willing to connect to that neighbor who I may not even like. Last Monday, knowing that I was going to preach this message... I was thinking long and hard of how I could connect to neighbor 
and how I could help you connect to neighbor. And I happened to be thinking these big thoughts while I was mowing the lawn. So I mow my lawn and my neighbor's lawns uh, to, the, to the left of me. One is a middle-aged widow whose husband I was friends with prior to his passing. The other one is an elderly gentleman whose wife has Alzheimer's. They're, they're not big lawns, but they are lawns, and you've got to know I'm a klutz, and so just you know, starting a lawnmower can be a five- or 20-minute thing for me, you know, and getting the spool, you know, like the, the edger, you know, and when you pull the spool out and the spool goes, you know, and trying to wrap it around. I'm just, I'm not gifted in that, okay? So it turns into a couple of hours. So I'm edging the flower beds. I, honestly, I was complaining a little bit, trying to think, how do I connect our neighbor? How do I connect these guys to neighbor? Lord, help me with this sermon, you know, sweating, you know, I'm like walking over the cat poop that's on the ground, you know getting hit by a rock every once in a while. And, and suddenly Jorge comes out of his house, the, the older gentleman with the wife that has Alzheimer's, and he just walks by me and doesn't say it to me. He just says it. You know, he's getting older. And uh, he says, Mira, el hombre que siempre está mejorando la comunidad. Translation. Oh, look, the man who's always improving the community. It was strange, guys. And it hit me. Captain Obvious. Hey, Big Al, in the midst of your grand plans to connect to neighbor, I think you're actually probably doing it right now, and you're missing it. Tell the church that connecting to neighbor is an everyday thing. It's being merciful. It's stopping and helping where you see a need right in your neighborhood next door, like the moms in the next bedroom. But the point of it is this. Big or small, if you're gifted to do the big, great. If you're gifted to have a think tank and help us think through the implications of the the creation mandate, what global warming and that whole green movement is doing to to our country, if you're you're able to think big thoughts like that, then God will use you at that level or care for those women that are pregnant and don't know what to do about it or put on a birthday party for Jesus and proclaim Christ through talent and and someone who can do that. Great, but most of us aren't that. But we got neighbors. We got lawnmowers. But do we have the vision for it? And do we see that we do it together, not just alone? See, the the heart, what Jesus was getting at here is, lawyer, sir, you had the right answers but the wrong heart. You had it here but not here. The Samaritan probably had the wrong answer. They were heretics. I mean, they're bad dudes. It wasn't good. But Jesus often walks through there and uses them. Woman at the well. Good Samaritan. Yeah, they had compassion. And, and they had a vision. They, they, if we understand God's mercy. Listen, what it takes to serve your neighbor is to, for a moment, for all of us to say, I'm not just going to be consumed with my interests, my agenda, my plans, my desires for success, my career, my relationships, my text that I'm doing right now, my stupid iPhone, my Facebook, my sports team, okay? Uh, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk to somebody when someone else is talking. I'm going to actually listen, and here's the key. You ready? Shocking news. I'm not just going to be involved with my interests only, but I'm going to consider the interests of others. It's exactly, it's exactly what we see in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Look at it. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. On the screen, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, not only to his own interest, not only to his own interest. That is so small. I'm not mocking those of you who are older because I can barely read that. I'm sorry. We'll work on that next time. Uh, but, you know, don't just look after your own interests. Someone in there, somewhere in there it says that, okay? Don't just look after your own interests, fourth, fifth line down, but also the interests of others. Don't look for your own interests, but also the interests of others. There's your great plan. That's going to launch your ministry right there. And then as Alex wonderfully said, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This isn't trying to be what we're not. This is being who we are. If you're a Christian, you have this mind because it's the mind of Christ and he has bought you and saved you. He didn't just buy you. He bought the relationships he called you into in this church and he bought the relationships he's calling you into in your neighborhood. To have the mind that is yours and to let that mind rule you. Not the mind of the flesh, not the mind of the world, not the mind of... Everything that's opposed to God? What is the mind of Christ? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how we connect to our neighbor, looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We have the mind of Christ. Great, Al. I've got the mind of Christ. I want to do it. Can you help me with some primer thoughts? Can you help me stir up my creativity? And to that I will say, yes, I can. But caution. What you're about to see is a lot. Caution. These are simply examples to stimulate your thinking. They're not for you to do all of them. You may do none of them. It may just be one thing that God gives you, and I don't want it to just be you. Let him give it to us. Listen, this whole deal isn't meant to be done solo. It's, we, we get a group. Maybe it's for your community group. Maybe it's just for a smaller group of you guys. The synergism of connecting to God, connecting to one another, and then together connecting to neighbor, that's the beauty of this. That's the body functioning. Hand, arm, elbow, shoulder, lungs, brain, nose, so that the air can go in. A lot of those noses are clogged these days. High pollen count. The body is moving forward. These come from Tim Keller's book, Center Church. Just some ideas how to connect quickly. I'm going to read them fairly quickly, and I apologize for that. We're going to post these on the web. Take regular walks in your neighborhood to meet people. Go to the same places at the same time for groceries, haircuts, coffee, shopping. Volunteer alongside other neighborhood residents at nonprofits, Heartbeat, CBC, Cornwall, wherever, and with other programs. Participate in city events, fundraisers, festivals, cleanups, summer shows, concerts. Be hospitable to neighbors. Invite them over for a meal or a movie. Do recreational activities with people. Watch sports live at home or in a night spot. Go to a theater, show, museum, exhibit, art gallery. Invite them to work out with you at a gym. Look for ways to play organized amateur sports in the city. Go out to eat with coworkers. Invite them over for a meal. Or go out and try a new restaurant. Plan trips or outings. Trip to the beach, historical site. If a person has a skill or interest, ask them to educate you. 
Organize a discussion group on politics, books, inviting mainly non-Christians. And the biggest one, don't be a, a closet Christian in all these things. Talk about your faith in a beautiful way. Is invite someone to read the Bible with you using David Helms' one-to-one. I know that we're all limited in time. This list is not meant for you to try them all, but to trigger in you some creative juices. Here's my appeal, church. My prayer is that the gospel, properly preached and practiced, would produce ministry of mercy that connects people to neighbor through Jesus Christ as we all do our part. I want to close the service right now by singing a song. Stay seated for a moment. I'm going to pray first before we sing it. But I want to put the first verse and the pre-chorus verse on the screen and read it to you. This is the song written by Jonathan Jerez, a friend of mine from the church in the Dominican Republic. It's, it was written initially in Spanish, un siervo para su gloria. We've translated it into English, a servant for your glory. But read verse 1. And by the way, Jonathan used Philippians 2, 3 through 8 as, as a, really a, a pattern for part of this song. Look at verse 1. The king of all creation, cloaked as God in human form, a servant he became, in his submission suffered death, humiliated till the end, a dreadful death my Savior died. Pre-chorus one, in his great love, he sent his only son to redeem my sinful soul. Christ exemplified a grace beyond compare, gave his life to save my own. Because God sent his son in overflowing merciful love, overflowing with undeserved grace, we can ask him to give us his same mind, his same heart for others, and the grace to be a servant for his glory. Let's pray. Worship team, please come up and join me. Father, I pray that you would give us right now faith as we look at lists, as we hear Jesus say, you go and do the same. Lord, may we see that it is you, the one who's had mercy on us. It is you, the one who loved us and was kind to us when we were ungrateful, when we were evil. And may we feel the grace, know the grace, experience the grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the the power of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working, working together to call a people, His people, to call them to, to, to connect to you, oh God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son, by the Holy Spirit, faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. And then to connect with one another the body of Christ. And then together to go out these doors as a body, connect to neighbor. Those who are lost, but your people waiting for the word, the sermon, the good deed, followed by the gospel presentation, and then the Spirit saying, today's the day. Lord, use us. Make us servants for your glory. Let's stand and sing this as a closing prayer. A servant for your glory.